Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. Amen and amen. I have chosen for our anchor text this morning, Exodus chapter number 17. Uh, For those of you who are old school like me, you probably brought your Bibles. If you are new school and you are tech savvy, uh, you probably have version, and all of our notes are available on version, and we will also have the notes on the screen as well. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter number 17. We find the Israelites uh, 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 having come out of Egypt on their way to Sinai. So as we pick up the narrative in Exodus chapter 17, we're almost picking up the narrative uh, mid-sentence. Uh, The Egyptians are now about three months. They're about three months into their sojourn, their journey out of 420 years of captivity, 420 years of slavery. And now God has liberated them significantly. He's done it supernaturally. He's shown his power and his glory on display. And he has brought them out with an outstanding, awesome deliverance. But they find themselves somewhere between where they were and where they are going. Anybody ever find yourself in the middle? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we've said that before here at City Church, that the middle could be an awkward place. It could be a precarious place because in front of you is uncertainty, but behind you is comfort and convenience and familiarity. And most of us, when we find ourselves in the middle, are tempted to go back because we know what we left. Ahead of us is a whole lot of uncertainty. God rarely reveals his plan for our lives in its entirety. He gives us glimpses of what our future can be. He gives us glimpses of what our lives can be, but he rarely shows us the details in between. That's where he requires us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so the Israelites find themselves three months into their journey. They're not quite at Sinai, They're not quite in Egypt, but they find themselves in a place called Rephidim. Now, if you go back to verse number one, we're going to pick up the the story in verse number eight. But if you go back to verse number one, the scripture says that he led them by stages through the desert. God leads us by stages. And the reason he leads us by stages is because with every stage, there is a test. And with every test, God reveals something new of his character. Something that we did not understand or we did not know prior to that stage. So in Egypt, they had lived in 430 years of bondage. 430 years of captivity where every day was planned for them, where every day was scheduled for them, where someone else was making the decision for their lives. How many of you realize it's bondage when somebody else is deciding what you can have, what you can't have, where you can go, where you cannot go. And for 430 years, God's people lived in bondage in Egypt. And so God shows up and he reveals himself because as he's bringing them out, he reveals himself as I am that I am. And he brings them out with a mighty deliverance, 10 plagues and the Passover. But he brings them out of Egypt, stage number one to stage number two, where they have to cross the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, God parts this mighty sea. In fact, the scripture says that the walls of the Red Sea were congealed That means they were solid. 
and they passed, listen to me, they passed, and, and, and if you, depending on the Bible commentators you read and trust, anywhere from two to three million people, listen to me, crossed the Red Sea on dry ground while the walls were congealed. And God revealed himself to the Israelites in this second stage as a God who was a deliverer and a miracle worker. In fact, he brings them out of Egypt and he brings them to a place called Elam. And after Elam, I'm sorry, he brings them to Marah. And in Marah, after he brings them across the Red Sea, they're, they're taking their first drink of freedom and they notice the waters are bitter. And supernaturally, God turns the bitter waters into sweet waters because in that stage, God revealed something new of himself in Marah. He moves them forward from Marah to a place called Elam. And in Elam and the wilderness of sin, he reveals himself as the God who is a provider because he rains down manna from heaven. In fact, they had so much quail that scripture says the meat was coming out their teeth. Now, the reason God even provided meat for them was because they complained against the provision of the Lord. And they said, oh, that we could go back to Egypt because we had pots full of meat and we had more bread than we needed. Moses, did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? And because they complained against the provision of the Lord, because he had also provided manna, bread from heaven supernaturally, the Lord said, I'm going to give you all the meat you want, but this is what the testimony said. He sent them quail, but they had leanness in their soul. That word leanness means that they had famine in their soul. Have you ever been in a place and a season in your life where you had everything life could offer, but you were still empty? A whole lot of people living like that. Got all the toys. Got everything you could ever want but there's leanness in your soul. And that's what God revealed at the wilderness of sin. And he's leading them by simple stages. I would venture to say that you can look back over your life and see how God led you stage by stage. And every stage and in every season, God revealed something new of who he was, of who he is, of his character. And so now we find ourselves in Rephidim. And the reason I like Rephidim because Rephidim gives us the impression that for the first time, having come out of Egypt, God is going to give them a break. How many of you realize that every now and then, all of us can use a good break? So God brings them out of Elam, and he brings them to a place called Rephidim. The reason I like Rephidim is because the word Rephidim means rest. It means resting place. Ah, the only problem with that, man, is they show up in Rephidim and they pitch their tents only to find ain't no water. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but there have been seasons in my life where I knew I heard from God. I knew that I knew that I knew I heard from God. I knew I was walking in obedience only to find the promise of a place called Rephidim. The promise of a place that's supposed to give me rest and all I find 
is barrenness. God brings them out and he brings them to a place called rest only for them to discover. Now, I want you to think about this. It says two million people. Ain't no water. Process that for a second. And they're all following God. Oh, oh, pump the brakes. They're all following a man who say he following God. And once again, they complained against Moses. And Moses said, Lord, do something. Because <laughs> these people about to stone me. And the Lord says, take all the elders, and I want you to bring them to this rock. And I want you to strike the rock, and when you strike the rock, water is going to flow out of the rock. I wish I had time to preach this. I don't have time to preach it because I'm, going, I'm trying to get to the second half of the story. Uh, so, yeah, sure enough, he, knocked, he hits the rock, strikes the rock, and water flows out of the rock. Listen to me. Enough water to water two million people and their livestock. Because sometimes God brings us to Rephidim to reveal something of himself that we've never seen before. If you're here this morning and you say, I know I'm following God. Why am I in this barren place? Listen for the instruction that he gives you next. Because he's going to show you where the rock is. And he's going to make provision supernaturally. Be, listen to me, beyond your ability. That's why he brought them to Rephidim. Now, the plot thickens though. Because if you ever walk with God, man, it sometimes it feels like it gets worse before it gets better. Are y'all listening to me? So, so he gets them through the first, the first hurdle. But while they're still in Rephidim, while they're still in Rephidim, here comes verse number eight. Somebody say the inconvenience of obedience. So now we're in verse 8. Oh, boy. <sighs> Somebody say, your part matters. Let me tell you what this message today is all about. You have a part in God's story. And how you respond to the story that God is writing impacts more than just you. God created you for a specific role, for a specific part in his story. And how you respond to the part that he has assigned to you determines the narrative. Are y'all listening to me? And so this is made painfully obvious in verse number eight of Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17. Are y'all with me? It says, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. You've heard me say this before, obedience will often attract opposition. So they're right in the place where God told them to go. Not only did they come to this resting place and find no water, now they come to this so-called rest stop on their way to Sinai only to encounter adversaries. And the scripture says, 
Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Why, Lord, why I got to be fighting in the place where I'm supposed to be resting? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. This is supposed to be a place of refuge and solitude. This is supposed to be a place of rest and tranquility. But now it has become a place of wrestling and warring. But in every stage, God is revealing something of himself that they had never seen before. Listen to me, they are only three months into walking with the God of Israel. Up until this point, all they had been exposed to was the gods of Egypt. So as God is bringing them out and putting them in these very specific places and situations, he's saying, sit tight, honey, because I'm going to reveal who I am in every season, in every stage. So they're in Rephidim, and he reveals himself as the God who can make water flow out of a rock. But can you be our protector when our adversaries come against us? So Amalek comes, Amalek comes, and they attack the Israelites in Rephidim. Verse 9, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. But when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. They became weary. Listen to me. As he was doing his part in God's story, as he was living out his role, as he was playing his part, he got tired. The truth is, it is possible to be right where God called you to be, doing what he called you to do, and get tired. Now, one of the things that Pastor Wendy and I committed to is that we would lead City Church and pastor City Church with transparency and vulnerability. And so when we communicate God's word, we want to minister from that place. That there are moments, not only in my life, but even in your life, when you get tired. And the scripture says, whenever Moses got tired, Amalek prevailed. But notice what happens next. Scripture says, but, but, but Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Somebody say, your part matters. In this story, we see four characters, but it's not just their story, it is actually God's story unfolding. 
because God's story and God's dream for the people of Israel was that he was going to bring them out of bondage and bring them into the promised land. Each of these four men had a part to play in making sure this promise was fulfilled. What that means is God has a dream, not only for our church, but God has a dream that he desires to fulfill through you. And recognizing that you have a part to play in it makes all the difference in the world. Not only recognizing that you have a part to play, but embracing your part in the story and walking it out fully. Are y'all with me? Now, each part is different. Each part is unique. But each part is necessary. So can I talk to you about it? Hopefully you identify yourself in one of these, one of these characters. Because your part matters. What Moses does is different than what Joshua does. And what Aaron and Hur do is different from what both Moses and Joshua do. But each role is necessary to ensure that God's dream is fulfilled. There is no victory in the valley without Moses, Aaron, and Hur doing what they're called to do on the mountaintop. In fact, what happened on the hilltop influenced what was happening in the valley. Are y'all listening to me? Your part matters. In order for God's plan and purpose to be fulfilled. So here it is. We're about to go in. Everything I said up until now was just my introduction. This is the beginning of the message. I see a couple of first-time guesses like, is he serious? I am. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go fast. So here it is. Your part matters. Let's start with Moses. Let's start with Moses. Moses is the visionary. He's the one to whom God entrusts the instructions. He's the one who communes with God, talks to God, and says, this is what we had to do next. But can I say to you that even if you're a visionary, even though it may seem glamorous, even though it may seem like you're the one out front, even though it seems like you're the one encountering God one-on-one, -on -one, even though it seems like you're the one telling everybody what to do, that being a visionary can be a hard place. Can I tell you why this was a hard place for Moses? Because Moses is about to take responsibility for leading these people into battle. The same people who were just about to stone him. Are y'all listening to me? Not only that, Moses is only three months into this job. He's responsible for three million people and he doesn't even know where the next meal is going to come from. Not only that, he's three months into this job, but he has quite a resume. He has quite a resume of imperfection. He's leading three million people, but every single day he's got to deal with his own insecurities and his own feelings of inadequacy. Like every time he opens his mouth, he stutters and stammers. Are y'all listening to me? 
God is entrusting him to lead all these people. They got to deal with the fact that he can't even talk. And God says, you're my man. And he's wrestling with God in Midian when God called him. And he says, Lord, I can't do this. I can't use somebody else. Here's my brother Aaron. And this is what God said. He said, I know your brother Aaron. He said, I know your brother Aaron. I know his gifts. I know his talents. I know his abilities. I know he's a better, more eloquent person than you are. I know he's not, he doesn't even have half the baggage that you're dealing with. Thank you, sir. I'm shining like Jermaine Jackson, man. <laughs> Thank you for helping a brother out. Y'all know Jermaine Jackson had them finger waves on the side, had that extra juice. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. Y'all don't tell Jermaine I said that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know he is. Uh, what was I talking about? Hair. Aaron. And God said, look, I know your brother's more gifted, more talented than you. I know he doesn't have the history and baggage that you got to. And just in case you were wondering, Moses had a whole lot of baggage. Moses was a murderer. Just in case you forgot. Not only was he a murderer, he was a fugitive from the law. And he didn't do time for the crime he committed. And for 40 years, he's living in comfort and obscurity, never really paying the price for the crime he committed. Maybe wrestling with a whole lot of guilt and God says, I want you. Have you ever wondered why God would choose you? With everything he knows about you. And then stepping up in front of three million people and saying, I am God's mouthpiece. I'm talking to the visionaries in the building who know that God has called you to something great. But every time you step up and open your mouth, you are reminded of why you're not deserving of this opportunity. Oh, no, it's not just the internal wrestling. But every time you get up, man, you're not only wrestling with what you say into yourself, but now you got to deal with what everybody's saying about you. Are y'all with me? Hmm. You have a part in God's story. And if God has called you to lead as a visionary, then what he's calling you to do is to develop some tough skin. Most people have thin skin and a calloused heart. Because everything they say gets through your thin skin and gets to your, gets to your heart. And now your heart is calloused. And guess what, guess what happens when our hearts become calloused? We begin to withhold the best part of who we are because of what they did. And if you don't deal with what hurt you, you will bleed on people who didn't cut you. Are y'all listening to me this morning? I'm talking about all the visionaries now. 
And what we end up doing is allowing things that hurt us, our insecurities, uh, the opposition, and the critics to keep us from doing our part in God's story. How many of you realize when the Amalekites came against Israel that morning in Rephidim that Moses had to muster the courage to say, you know what, I stutter, I stammer, I've got a history, I've got a past, but God, I know you called me, I know you appointed me, I know you anointed me, I am going to get up from this place, go up to this hilltop because what I do impacts the story that you're trying to tell. The reason we're talking about Moses right now it's because Moses understood he had a part to play in God's story. Your part matters. Your part matters. And if God has called you to lead and be a visionary, when times get tough, you do not have the option of throwing a tantrum and getting into the fetal position and quitting. It's called leadership. Are y'all listening to me? No, let me tell you, most, most of us want the title, but we don't want the trouble. But your part matters. Listen to what Theodore Roosevelt said. When all of his critics came against him when he was building the Panama Canal, he said, it's the worst idea in the world. Like Fred Sanford, you big dummy. You know what he was called? <laughs> Lamont. <laughs> I grew up watching Sanford and Son with my dad, man. Great memories. Great memories. Listen to me, listen to me. I'm going to help somebody this morning. Listen to to what Theodore Roosevelt said. He said, it is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena doing something whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. It belongs to the man who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at, at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Being critical of others is easy. The hard part is doing what God said to do. Are y'all with me? And if God has called you to be out front, your part matters. Get up on that hill and raise your hands toward heaven because what you do on the hilltop influences and impacts what's happening in the valley. Are y'all listening to me? There are people counting on you to keep your hands raised, even when it's hard, even when you're battling internally and externally. Your part matters. 
Oh, oh here's, 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 here's the other one. Uh, what about Joshua the warrior? <laughs> oh, I love it. Because the scripture says in verse 9 that Moses, I like this, commanded Joshua. Didn't give Joshua no options. He said, hey, man, the Amalekites out there, you go fight them. I'm going up on the mountain, man. Are y'all with me? What if your part in God's story is to dwell in the valley, to risk life and limb for God's story? Now, what most of us want to do is, like, trade places. Now, Moses, you go fight, and I'll go on the mountaintop. But notice what the scripture says about Joshua. The scripture says that Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Notice verse 10. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Listen to me. If God has called you in the, to, be, to be a valley dweller, listen to me. Listen to me. Be dependable. I know that's not profound, but listen to me. When there's a Joshua on the mountaintop fighting for you, your part is to go in the valley and fight for them. Listen to me what it means to be dependable. Can others rely on you? Maybe you're not at the top. Maybe you're not the visionary. But I wish I could communicate how important and how, how how much of a relief it is when someone who is a leader has someone they can count on. I can count on you. I can depend on, listen, if, if, if listen, that's why the Bible says that, that Potiphar didn't even look into anything that Joseph did. Joseph, here you go. You run my whole house. I ain't got to look into anything, Joseph, because he was reliable. And Moses knew if I simply tell Joshua, go and fight, I ain't got to tell him how to recruit the people. I ain't got to tell him his battle strategy. I ain't got to tell him where to get the weapons from. All I got to say to Joshua is go fight them. And Joshua is going to figure it all out. You know why? Because he understood that my part in God's story matters. Can't rely on nobody for nothing. I ain't talking about me. I'm just talking about in general. Because people don't see how important their role is. It would not have mattered how long Moses stayed on the mountaintop if Joshua wasn't willing to fight in the valley. Because each person's part matters. Can you just be reliable? Can the people you serve count on you to just have your act together? Yeah, Moses... Moses got emotions too. Moses got issues too. But Moses is fighting through those issues and those emotions. And he's counting on you to do the same thing. Why are you fighting in the valley? Y'all, real quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> Listen to what the scripture says. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 6. Many will say they are loyal friends. But who can find just one who's reliable? What the writer of Proverbs say, a lot of us will boast about 
ourselves. You can count on me. You can trust me. But who is really, like for real, for real reliable? Can you even, he said, can you even find one that's really reliable? Now, why does that matter? It matters because of Proverbs 25 and 29. It says, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. Moses would not have had the confidence of going up on the mountain if Joshua was unreliable. Your part matters in God's story because this was God's idea, not Moses' idea to get out of Egypt and go to the promised land. Moses was doing his part to lead them into the promised land, but Joshua had a part to play too. And Joshua's part, Joshua's part was to be reliable when it mattered. Let me tell you a second thing. Let me tell you a second thing about Joshua. He wasn't only reliable, but valley dwellers are comfortable with obscurity because they don't care who gets the glory. Some people will not lift a finger to do nothing unless they're going to get credit for it, unless their name is going to be in the, in, the, in the headlines. But Joshua's in the valley, and he's not in the valley alone. There were other men who were fathers and mothers who went into, not fathers and mothers, not men who were fathers and mothers. Let me read here. <laughs> there were other men who were fathers, who were brothers, who were sons, who went into battle, whose names we will never know. But what they did mattered because they helped fulfill God's story. Even though their name will never be known or mentioned. Are y'all with me? Your part, whatever it is, matters. I, I, I'm skipping through something. Uh, but let me say this. Notice what he said. I'm saying this to help us. <laughs> I'm saying this to help us to get into alignment. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Pastor Winnie and I are imperfect. I'm sure there's a whole lot of stuff we do wrong. But when I say these things, I'm not saying any of it to be self-serving. I'm saying these things so that there is a reward for you. Not for me. I guarantee you. So notice what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. <laughs> Why obscurity, sometimes obscurity, is the best remedy for us. Notice what he says. It says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. It's saying if you're a valley dweller and you're supposed to be out there fighting, don't, don't, don't even care about the notoriety. Because if you're doing it to be seen, it says you got your reward already. Let me tell you what your reward is if your motivation for what you do is to be seen. Your reward... Your reward is the praises of men, which counts for very little. Because the same people who say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord today, on Palm Sunday, on Good Friday, are going to be shouting, crucify him. So, 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 so Jesus says, if you go do your part, don't live for the approval of men because you will die by their criticism. 
He says, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Why would I want to forfeit God's reward? Because I lived for the rewards of men. Listen to me. If you are given to the applause and the praise of men, you have forfeited, forfeited your heavenly reward. Are y'all, did y'all hear that? Uh, therefore, when you do your charitable deed, whatever you do, whatever good you do, do not sound a trumpet before, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, when you do good, whatever it is, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's the valley dweller. They're comfortable with obscurity. Do you realize that Jesus spent 30 years in obscurity for three and a half years of public ministry? Now, most of us would have flipped it. Let me train for three years and give me 30 years center stage. Whatever your part is, it matters. Okay, uh, I'm about to wrap this up. Uh, it says when you do your, your good deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. Ah, here it is. And your father who sees in secret will who? Himself. Come on, somebody. God himself will reward you openly. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. How many of you realize that Joshua had, um, not Joshua, Moses had biological sons? But when Moses died, who did he choose to be a successor? Joshua. 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 Not his biological son. Faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters. Be reliable. Be trustworthy. Be the kind of person that people can count on. Be faithful in little things, even when nobody gives you the time of day. Even in obscurity, serve faithfully because your part matters. Are y'all with me? Let me give you the last third one. Ooh, y'all saw that little skip? Woo! Here it is. What about Aaron and her? Oh, man. Maybe you're not a visionary. Maybe you're not a valley dweller. Maybe you're not a warrior. But what if, man? <laughs> what if God has called you to be a confidant and helper? To hold up Moses' arms. Listen to me. Let me tell you something about confidants. Let me tell you something about Aaron's and hers. What they did, holding up Moses' arm, was not in their job description. For those of you who insist on only doing the bare minimum, 
For those of you who insist on only doing what is required of you. Let me tell you what errands and hers do. Errands and hers, number one, do whatever is necessary. They do whatever is necessary. Without a big celebration, without a big award. How many of you realize that Aaron was a high priest, not a big brother hand holder? He was a high priest. That's high profile. I ain't gonna hold up your stinky arm. Man, I go and I offer incense and I put on my robe and no, Aaron's and hers do whatever is necessary. Now, now notice what the scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. It says, whatever you do. Now, now that phrase is all inclusive. Whatever you do. This ain't church talk. I'm talking about on your job. I'm talking about with your family. I'm talking about with your relationships. I'm talking about your friendships. It says, do it well. The, the new King, the King James says, whatsoever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Not half-heartedly. Put your all into it. Whatever your hands find to do. That means do it, do whatever is necessary. Whatever your hands find to do. That means you see the need and you jump in. Listen to me, why that's important. Notice what Solomon said. For when you go to the grave, there ain't going to be no work, ain't going to be no planning, ain't going to be no knowledge, ain't going to be no wisdom. So if you're waiting and withholding for some brighter day, it ain't going to happen. Are y'all listening to me? When your life ends. I ain't going to do that. I'm better than that. I'm bigger than that. No, your part matters. And he says, whatever you do, do with all your might. In fact, Jesus had this testimony in Luke, and it says, who is this man? He has done all things well. So whatever your part is, do it well. Aaron's and hers do whatever is necessary. Because Moses in the house, these Amalekites coming after us. Man, I'm going to go up this hill, come with me. And they came with him. Now notice, they were hanging out until Moses' hands grew weary. Let me put that in perspective for you. The scripture says, when Moses had his hands up, Israel prevailed. Have you ever stopped and wondered how many lives were lost? in the moment or the moments that his hands grew weary and Amalek began to prevail. Y'all listen to me? How many people died in, I don't know if it was a split second, I don't know if it was a minute, I don't know if it was 30 minutes, but they were up there for a minute and his hands are raised and all of a sudden, his hands get tired. But it was long enough for Amalek to prevail against Israel. And everybody steady twirling their thumbs. 
Oh, that's Moses' job. That ain't my job. Come on. That's confirmation from the Lord. Come on, somebody. The only caveat to Aaron is don't wait too long to do what is necessary. Don't wait too long. Here's the second thing. Second thing about Aaron and her. Y'all ready for this? Aaron and her, they handled the weight and responsibility of access with discretion. Listen, if God has called you to lift up the hands of your pastor, you're not only going to see him at his best, but you may catch him at his worst. In fact, the thing that moved Aaron and her into action was observing Moses' weakness. Y'all listen, listen to what I'm saying? The problem with some of us is your part is to be an Aaron and a her to your leader. But you ain't ready for access. Because you will see not only the good, you may see the bad. But your part still matters because Aaron, I mean Moses still needs somebody to hold up his hands. Y'all know what that means, this right here? This is yada. It's a Hebrew word yada, which is a word of surrender, both hands raised. And he said, I'm going to take the rod of God up the hill and I'm going to hold this rod in surrender to God. It's one of the seven Hebrew words for worship, yada. It means surrender. The idea of yada is that of an infant learning to walk who stumbles and falls. And if mama and daddy, what's the first response of that child? You know what that means? Moses on the hilltop is saying to Abba Father, yada. I've fallen and I can't get up. And he needed someone to hold up his hands. And as long, listen to me, as long as he was surrendered to God, as long as he was surrendered to God, Israel prevailed. But when his hands grew weary, Amalek prevailed. And so Aaron and her jump in, and this is where I'm going to close. Listen to me. Here it is. They're able to handle the weight and responsibility of access with discretion. Notice what verse 20, uh, Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3 says. This is talking about handling that stuff now, if that's what God's called you to. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the religious law of the Pharisees are the official interpreters of, law, of the law of Moses. In fact, in the King James, it says they sit in Moses' seat. But notice what it says. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. But don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. You know what he's talking about? He's talking to, to those who are errands and hers. Who observe leaders in Moses' seat. 
who are imperfect. He says, still do what they tell you. Because it's right. Even though they are imperfect. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. That's in the Bible. That's Jesus. If God has called you to lift up somebody's hands. <sighs> Let me just give you this last one. First Peter 4, 8. It says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. <laughs> for love covers a multitude of sins. So here it is. Your part matters. Whatever it is. And this is not just in relationship to a leader. It's in relationship to the person sitting next to you. Maybe God's called you to lift up their hands. As imperfect as they are, love covers. Maybe God's called you to be a valley dweller and be the warrior. Give it all you have. And man, look, if you're a leader on the top of the hill and you're wrestling with internal stuff and then you're dealing with external stuff, just bring all of it to God in surrender, man. Because we're all writing a chapter of God's story and how we respond. Even when life is hard, when life is imperfect, determines the narrative determines the outcome of the story. So whether you're on the hilltop, listen to me, whether you're on the hilltop in God's story or you're in the valley, your part matters. It matters. It matters. So, Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, would you help us? We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at If you are encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text City Church TV and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.